Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. I'm Carrick Butler. I lead Faith Christian Center right here in Austell, Georgia. Thank you for tuning in today. I believe today's message is going to equip you and empower you to make Jesus famous in your everyday life. As you listen, something good is going to happen to you. So listen up to the message, apply it, and I'll talk to you after today's message. Open your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. We're getting a new series today. So join me in Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. One of the ushers can bring me out my props for today. Mark chapter 4, verse 1. One of the things we have to understand is there are battles that are waged every single day. One of these battles is the war for your soul. The war for your soul. You are a spirit. You have a soul, which is your mind. Say mind, will, and control center for the emotions. And then you live in a physical body. So you are a tripart being. But one of the wars that are waged every day is the war for your mind, your will, that's your desires, and your emotions. The enemy is constantly waging war against your mind, will, and emotions. In this series, we're going to expose his tactics and show you how you can live in absolute, total victory. So I've called this series Soul Wars. So let's look. No, series, not Siri. Mark chapter 4, verse 1. <laughs> Mark chapter 4, verse 1. And he began to teach by the seaside, and there was gathered unto him a great multitude, so that he entered into a ship and sat in the sea, and the whole multitude was by the sea on the land. And he taught them many things in his parables, and said unto them in his doctrine or in his teaching, Hearken, pay attention. Behold, there went out a sower to sow, and it came to pass as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. And some fell on stony ground where it had not much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it has no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched because it had no root, and it withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. And other fell on good ground, and did yield fruit that sprang up, and it increased and brought forth some 30, some 60, and some 100. He that has ears to hear, let him hear. Guess what? You have ears to hear. Amen? And when he was alone, they that were with them, with the twelve, asked him the parable. So this wasn't the twelve asking. When you read Luke chapter 8, you see some more of the people that travel with Jesus on a regular basis. So they pulled him and said, hey, Jesus, what does that parable mean? And he said unto them, unto you is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables, that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hear they may hear and not understand, lest at any time they should be converted and the sin should be forgiven them. So at any time they could change their minds and their hearts and be forgiven, but their hearts are hard, so they won't. And he said unto them, Know ye not this parable? How then will you know all parables? So this parable is the key to understanding the parables in the ministry of Jesus. The sower sows the word. So the issue at hand is the word of God. Amen? And these are they which were sown by the wayside. What is wayside? That is highway. The side of the highway. Now how many know if you're going to plant a garden or plant a farm, you're not going to plant it by the side of the highway. Amen? 
So these are those who are sown by the highway, where the word is sown, but they, when they have heard, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts, because their hearts are highway soil or hard soil where the word did not penetrate. And these are likewise which are sown on stony ground. So it's stone, but it's still earth. So the seeds go in, and they heard the word, immediately they receive with gladness or receive with a shout. And have no root in themselves, and they sow they endure, but for a time, say a time. Then afterward, when affliction or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. And these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word, and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and lust of other things, enter in, choke the word, or crowd out the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word, and receive it, and bring forth fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty and some a hundred. Now, one of the things you see in this parable, and we'll get into a little bit more in this series, Satan only has five tactics. Affliction, persecution, cares of this world, deceitfulness of riches, lust of other things. If Satan has ever attacked you in your life, and he has, it's been with one of those five tactics or a combination of those five tactics. So we're going to look at a little bit at affliction, persecution today, and let me give you some definitions for that. Affliction is pressure brought by circumstance. Affliction is pressure brought by circumstance. Persecution is pressure brought by people. Persecution is pressure brought by people. So it can be a little form of persecution where there's a little bit of pressure, or it can be great pressure, as we've seen sometimes in the Bible and throughout the world, where people's lives are threatened because of the persecution. So where there's a small amount of pressure or a large amount of pressure, if it's brought by people, it's persecution. If it's brought by circumstance, it's affliction. So, the people who received the word, they received it with gladness. See, there's a difference of hearing and receiving. The highway side crowd heard it, but they didn't receive it. This crowd heard it and received it and received it with a shout. So that means they believed it, they received it, they were expecting it to happen, and it began to produce immediately in their life. When you receive the word with gladness and with a shout, it begins to produce when you receive it with praise and thanksgiving. But they didn't let the word go far enough down on the inside of them and take root on the inside of them. So when affliction, which is pressure brought by circumstance, and persecution, pressure brought by people, came on their life, they let go of the word. Remember, the whole issue is to get the word. And Satan comes to steal the word that you've heard. And so afterward, when that pressure comes, because of the word's sake, immediately they are offended. So stop saying affliction, persecution, trials came to make you strong. No, it came to take the word. Satan doesn't send stuff to make you strong. He sends stuff to take the word. And says immediately they are what? Offended. Offended. Huh. So let me give you a definition for offend. To cause one to judge unfavorably or unjustly of another. To cause to fall away. To cause to stumble. To cause a person to begin to distrust and desert one whom he ought to trust and obey. Are you offended at someone today? Are you offended at someone today? See, while Satan attacks from the outside with affliction and persecution, offense rises from within as a possible response to the affliction and the persecution. That's why I call this series Soul Wars, The Battle from Within. 
Because while we can talk about how to use the authority of the believer and use the Word of God to battle the affliction, we can talk about how to use the Word of God to battle the persecution, but if you don't handle the offense on the inside, even if you know how to deal with the affliction and the persecution, it no, doesn't matter. You have to win the battle on the inside. So offense can be a response that rises up in you in response to persecution and affliction. Offense unchecked and not dealt with can lead you to the dangerous state of being offended. Offense unchecked and not dealt with can lead you to the dangerous state of being offended. Offense is an event. Offended is a choice. Offense is an event. Being offended is a choice. Being offended is dangerous and can block you from receiving the miraculous. How do I know that? Go a couple pages over, Mark chapter 6. Offense is dangerous and it can block you from receiving the miraculous. And he, Jesus, went out from thence and came into his own country. This is where he grew up, where he was from. And his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence has this man these things? And what wisdom is given unto him that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Is this not Mary's baby? Doesn't his brothers still live with us? We know their names. Doesn't his sisters live with us? And they were offended at. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country, among his own kin, in his own house. And he could do there no mighty work. Notice, 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 notice. Jesus, the anointed one, the Messiah, could not. And it say he would not. It says he could not do any mighty work. Say if he laid hands upon a few sick folk. Well, how many is a few? Biblical standards between three to eight. And this sick folk here is not major diseases. These are light diseases. And healed them. And he marveled because of the unbelief and he went about around the villages teaching. Their offense and their unbelief was so great, it limited the miraculous ministry of Jesus. Where all Jesus, the anointed one, the Messiah could do is heal three to eight people who had light ailments. Offense can block the miraculous. See, this crowd here was the mark for highway side crowd. They heard the word. Can you imagine the word preaching the word? Jesus preaching the word. They heard it from the mouth of Jesus himself. They heard it, but they didn't receive it. Their hearts were like that highway side. So it's laid on top of their hearts. So Satan comes in and says, thank you. I'll take that. I'll take that. I'll take that. It'll make no difference in your life. Your life will be like you never heard it in the first place. Thank you. I thank you. I thank you. And while I'm taking the seed, why don't you be offended as well? Satan's goal is to take the word and get you into a place of offense. Go to Matthew chapter 11 with me. Offense is dangerous. Being offended can block you from receiving the miraculous. People can be in church all their life and miss out on miracles because they are offended. Matthew 11 verse 1. And it came to pass when Jesus had made an end of commanding his 12 disciples, he departed thence to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John, John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, the anointed John the Baptist, the one who Jesus would go on and talk about in this chapter, that there's no other prophet under the old covenant better than him. Jesus had such props with this man. He's a higher prophet in degree than Elijah, than Elisha, than Moses. Jesus had some major props with John the Baptist. 
So this is not some, oh, someone who's new to the things of God. So now when he had heard in prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto them, Are you he that should come, or shall we look another? Jesus answered unto them, Go and show John again. Meaning we've talked about this before. Johnny, cousin of mine. Because a lot of people read this passage, they're like, oh man, it's such a spiritual question. John the Baptist was on a quest for truth. He just wanted to know, is Jesus really the one who's to come? No, John already knew. Remember, John baptized Jesus. John wanted the baptism of the Holy Ghost. That's why he said, Jesus, you should baptize me. But Jesus says, do this to fulfill all righteousness. So John baptized Jesus, and when Jesus came up, the clouds opened, and they heard this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. John heard that. God had also told John ahead of time that the one you've seen the Holy Spirit come and remain on, he's the one. So John had that sign as well as the voice from heaven. He knew who Jesus was. But because Jesus, all this and his cousin, he expected, dude, get me out of prison. Where's the free railway sign? Where's the free pookie sign? Somebody get me out of prison. So he's sitting there in prison hearing about all these wonderful things Jesus is doing. He says, go and show John again those things which you do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. John the Baptist was getting into a place of offense. Why? See, he made a stand for righteousness. He preached the king, to the king, you're not supposed to marry her because that's your brother's wife. The king didn't like it. His new wife didn't like it either, so he's thrown in jail. This is affliction and persecution. And while this pressure is coming from all sides, offense is rising in John's heart. And what happens later, John loses his head. Offense can cost you your head. Whether you're physically beheaded or you lose your mind because you're caught up in offense. See, one of the things also about offense, don't be offended at the very one who can help you. There's a lot of people, even people in church, who are offended at God. Offense can cause you to back away from faith. When you look at all these different stories of people who were once influential in the church, back away from their beliefs. If you look at many of them, they have been offended in their life or still are. I sat down with somebody who leads one of these great big movements of false doctrine today. He used to be very prominent within the church, especially within the black community within the church. I sat down with him, and I interviewed him for three hours. Someone asked, well, you know, are you going to watch the movie on Netflix? No, I sat down with him for three hours. I, I got a good picture. And I looked at part of the things that happened in this individual's life, and it was offense that began the journey away. Offense can cause you to walk away from God. Offense can cause you to back away from faith. And faith is how you receive the goodness of God. Offense can cause you to let go of your grasp on God's goodness. Go to Matthew 26. Matthew 26. And in here, you see when Mary, the sister of Lazarus, so appreciative of what Jesus has done in her life, comes to Simon's house, takes this precious alabaster box that's probably worth a year's salary. 
It's very expensive. Breaks it, pours it on Jesus' feet, and an act of worship. She pours out her life before Jesus, washes her feet, his feet with her tears. And so while this moving moment is going on, it says the disciples were moved with indignation. That word indignation means anger or annoyance provoked by what is perceived as unfair treatment. They thought what was going on was unfair, and it produced in them anger. So this is another word for being offended. Have you ever wondered which disciple was offended at this? Anyone ever wondered that? Well, which one of the 12 was offended? Anybody want to know? See, John chapter 12 tells you who it is. John chapter 12, verse 3, talks about when Mary comes in and do, does this. Verse 4, then says one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him. Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This he said not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and he had the money bag and he carried what was in there. So Judas could secure the bag and he wanted to take the extra money that could have came from this offering. Then said Jesus, leave her alone. Against the day of my bearing has she kept this. Wait a minute. You know, you hear all these reports about these reporters saying, well, this preacher bought this, this preacher has this money. And they say, well, why wasn't it sold to give to the poor? They're literally quoting Judas Iscariot. I'd be careful with the person who preaches Judas. It's literally exactly what Judas said. And it's not because he actually cared about the poor. He wanted a little cut. So why is Jesus getting all this? I want some of this. So that's jealousy, that's envy. But when you go back to Matthew 26, after Jesus checks Judas, do you know what it says he does next? Verse 14, then one of the 12, called Judas Iscariot, went unto the chief priests and said unto them, what will you give me? And I will deliver him unto you. Not only was Judas a thief and envious and greedy, he was offended. unfair that Jesus gets this treatment. It's unfair that I don't get a cut out of this. I got a cut out of everything else. It's unfair. He's offended. He's a thief. He's greedy. He's envious and opens the door to the enemy. Because you read John 13 when Satan entered into Judas. It opened the door to Satan. Offense can be an inner response to affliction and persecution. Offense can come as a result of not receiving the word because of the condition of your heart and your mind. Offense can be mixed in with other sins and other underlying issues like we see in Judas. Another source of offense is strife. Another source of offense is strife. Paul says in Romans 13, Verse 13, let us walk honestly as in the day, not riding, not clubbing, and in drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and wantonness, not in strife and envying. Here in Romans 13, strife here is considered a work of darkness. In Galatians 5, it is referred to as variance, and it's described as a work of the flesh, as we taught in the last series that produces destruction, corruption, and ruin. Strife is defined as angry or bitter disagreement over fundamental issues. It is conflict. So, I want to give you a few scriptures about what does Proverbs have to say about strife. Proverbs 16, 28, New Living Translation says, A troublemaker plants seeds of strife. Gossip separates the best of friends. 
Proverbs 17, 9, Amplified Classic Edition. He who covers and forgives an offense seeks love, but he who repeats or harps on a matter separates even close friends. See, gossip and continually rehearsing past offense will increase offense. Proverbs 17, 19, he, loves, he that loves transgression is he that loves strife. So if you love sin, you're going to love you some strife. He, then Proverbs 20, verse 3, it is an honor for a man to cease from strife, but every fool will be meddling. So when you have a decision to forgive someone and let it go and move on, or you're like, well, I'm going to keep pushing this issue further, you're saying, you know what, this is me, the fool. Proverbs 22.10, cast out the scorner and contention shall go out. Yea, strife and reproach shall cease. Scorner is a scoffer, a derider. In Scripture is one who scoffs at religion, its ordinances and teachers, and who makes a mock of sin and the judgments and threatenings of God against sinners. A person that mocks or ridicules God's word and way will produce strife. A person that mocks God's way and God's word will produce strife, not only in their lives, but those who they have influence over. So you have to be careful who you listen to on a regular basis and who you hang around on a regular basis, because if they're always mocking God, then strife will come from them. Now, I didn't say, well, see, pastor told me to leave my spouse. I did not say that. You ain't getting me in trouble. It is on record. I did not say that foolishness that just came out of your heart. Proverbs 26, verse 20. Where no wood is, there the fire goes out. So where there is no talebearer, which means gossiper, the strife cease. Gossip is a source of strife. And see, the thing is, some of these things we do are so much in our culture, we don't consider them sin or wrong, it's just culture. We can even churchify it. Oh, you know, pray for sister so-and-so and brother so-and-so, you know, you know, they were out way too late last night. So we should pray that God has mercy. You know what they might have done. That's not a prayer request. You were gossiping. But also, what are you sharing and posting online? You just spreading gossip? Doesn't mean stuff online is true. It's like the previous generation. So if it's on TV, it must be true. Sadly, so many of us, if it's on Facebook, it must be true. Come on, last few years, you have to know not everything online is true. We can post and share gossip just like we can talk gossip. And that spreads strife. Proverbs 26, 20, the passage translation says, it takes fuel to have a fire. A fire dies down when you run out of fuel, so quarrels disappear when the gossip ends. Proverbs 28, 25 says, greed causes fighting or leads to strife. Trusting the Lord leads to prosperity. Proverbs 29, 22, an angry man stirs up strife. So if you don't deal with your anger, you will stir up strife. We can get into how to deal with anger later in the series. And a furious man abounds in transgression. Proverbs 17, 14, Amplified. The beginning of strife is like letting out water. As from a small break in a dam, first it trickles, then it gushes. Therefore, abandon, abandon the quarrel before it breaks out and tempers explode. Stop strife and offense when it is small. It will only grow. If it is not stopped, it will grow into a state of being offended. And being offended opens the door to the enemy. One of the best case examples of a church caught in offense is the church at Corinth. Now, the church at Corinth had a lot of good things going on for it, but it had some issues going on to the point whenever I do a series on it, I may call it Church Gone Wild, because that is the church at Corinth. They were already in a city that was known for being wild. 
Corinth, back in the day, was Las Vegas 3.0, that if you were going to have a wild Friday night, they said you acted like a Corinthian. That's actually the phrase from back in the day. Ooh, they are really a Corinthian on Friday. Did you see that post? Yeah, not everything that happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Did you see that post? That's what being a Corinthian meant back then. But some of that culture got inside the church. Because you see in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10, it says, Paul says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been declared unto me by your brethren, by them who are of the house of glory. They came and told me what's going on, that there are contentions among you. You're divided and in strife about this. Now this I say that every one of you says, I'm of Paul, and I of Apollos, and I'm of Peter, and I'm of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name Paul? They were getting into fights. The, the Greek paints the picture. They were in a civil war over who their favorite preacher was. Paul started the church. Apollos came with a different style of ministry, helped grow and build the church. Peter, guess, was a guest speaker, and they're fighting over who's the best. Well, I belong to Paul, I belong to Apollos, I belong to Peter, I belong to Jesus. Someone has to be super spiritual in the midst. And they broke out into strife over it. Chapter 3, verse 1, And brethren, I cannot speak unto you as unspiritual, but even unto carnal, fleshly, even as unto babes in Christ, I fed you with milk and not with meat. For hereto you're not able to bear it, so you can't get more revelation of the word because you can't receive it. And you're not able now to receive it as I'm writing unto you. For you are yet fleshly, you are yet carnal. For where is there among you envying and strife and divisions? Are you not carnal? Walk as men. One translation says mere men. You should be walking like Christians. You should be walking like supernatural people. But you act and live just like everybody else because you're at envy and strife. Because you say, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, aren't you fleshly? Who then is Paul and who is Apollos? But ministers by whom you believe, even as the Lord gave to every man. I have planted Apollos water, but God gave the increase. So what did this strife produce? You see 1 Corinthians eleven twenty nine, For he that eats and drinks unwordly eats and drinks damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. This is not just communion. This is talking about your brother and sister in Christ. For this cause, not discerning the Lord's body, many of you are weak, sickly among you, and many sleep, or many have died prematurely. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. This Corinthian church, although it had a lot going on, it was the church that believed in the Word. It was a church that had the gifts of the Spirit operating so much that Paul had to bring some order to it. Most churches can't even qualify for Paul's orders because they have no gifts operating. This church knew how the gifts should operate. They had gifts operating. They had power manifesting. They had the Word, but in this Word-preaching, healing-believing church, people were still getting weaker and sicker and dying early because of the great offense and strife that was in the church. Because James 3.16 says, For where envy and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. You keep reading through Paul's letter in 1 Corinthians how they started getting into sins. They were sinning so bad, the people in the world said, man, those Christians really know how to sin. We need to take lessons on sinning from them. Envy and strife opened the door to it. See, I'll back up in James 3 a little bit in verse 14. It says, but if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descends not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. What is devilish wisdom? It's operating in line with the demonic agenda and under its influence. 
operate in line with the demonic agenda and under its influence. For where envy and strife is, there's confusion in every evil work. That if you're feeling justified with your strife, yeah, I should do this because they did this, they did this, they did this. That is devilish wisdom, and you're operating under a demonic agenda and in line with demonic influences. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, prepared for every good work. So what type of vessel you are is not up to God, it's up to you. Flee also you fool us, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid knowing they do gender strife. You don't have to answer every fool on Facebook. It is not your job to correct all the ignorance on Twitter. You really don't have to reply. Because a lot of stuff on there, as it says here, is gender strife. And the servant of the Lord must not strive or be given to strife. But be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. People in strife are opposing them themselves. If God peradventure will grant them repentance to acknowledge of the truth, that they may recover themselves out of the snare, the trap of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. Being offended is a snare of the devil. Being offended is a snare of the devil. If you are caught in that snare, you are taken captive whenever he wants. See, you can be caught and not know it. You can be trapped and not know it. See, taken captive means taken alive. You're a prisoner of war. And spiritually, you can be a prisoner of war and not know it and still go to church every Sunday. Still wear all the Christian t-shirts. Still sing all the Christian songs. But it's a trap. And when you're taken captive at his will, while you're a trap, you're just living your life thinking everything's okay, everything's going good. But whenever Satan wants to use you as a puppet, he just has to go like this, and you start acting like him. You start talking like him. You know, you were cool first. You're like, yeah, I love coming to this church. But all of a sudden, yeah, you know, you see what, you know, that usher didn't smile right. You know, they, somebody's not doing their job around here. I saw, did you see what I saw outside in the parking lot? Man, did pastor really say that? Do they, did they really say that? Did Minister Dathan really compare the love of God to Mufasa? Did he really do that? <laughs> and they take small things that nothing was wrong with, and they began to talk about it and talk about it and talk about it till they can find an ear that will begin to agree. And they begin to spread offense throughout the church, feeling justified in their offense, thinking, well, I'm the only one around here who knows the will of God. I must be the most spiritual person around here. I know pastor, I know the ministers, I know the deacons, some of the other team faith coaches. I know they used to know the Holy Ghost, but everybody is wrong but me. Offense will make you feel justified in being offended. And it begins to spread. And you don't know this, Christian, but now you have a puppet master who's just pulling your strings. You like Pinocchio, I get, got no strings on me, but you do. 
and you're doing Satan's agenda because you are trapped in offense. Satan will even prop people up in church just so they can spread offense. And he doesn't mind them coming to church. You can dance, you can fall, but you're still my puppet. Because you choose not to forgive. You can keep that offense. I know you can keep that offense. All I got to make sure is someone who might have had a bad day looks at you wrong because they were coughing. But you take it with something personal. Mm, they cough at me. That's why I don't like going to church no more. Those Christians are so false and phony. They cough in my direction. <laughs> can someone not cough? But it's every little thing. It multiplies to drama and an issue. Now it's all Christians. You know, anytime people say all this, all that, that shows ignorance. You can't say all black people, all white people, all Mexicans, all Hispanics. That's ignorance. And offense will lead you to ignorance. All these people, all these people, until you eventually you spread enough offense going around. And they say, you know what? I'm just going to leave the church. Not just a church, but the church. I can be spiritual all by myself. And you stay like that for a little while, but you get further and further away, and you walk away from Jesus. It's not once saved, always saved. Jesus doesn't kick people out. He says, doesn't the Bible, Jesus say, they can't take you from my hand? That's true. But he never said you can't leave his hand. God won't kick you out, but you can walk out. The book of Hebrews talks about that. How people who used to be close to God, used to work with God, used to operate in the power of God, made a decision to leave and trample afresh the Son of God, it says. Offense leads people to that. Offense unchecked, undealt with, leads people away from Jesus. Offense is dangerous. Jesus said in Matthew 18, 7, Woe unto the world because of offenses. For it must needs to come. He says, offense is going to come to everybody. But woe to that man by whom the offense comes. Offense is coming to everybody. But woe or judgment to the person who brings and spreads the offense. Remember, offense is a work of the flesh and of darkness that produces corruption, ruin, and destruction. Offense is not something to play with. And see, so, you know, as I was preparing this message this morning, and a lot of you know I already like Star Wars anyways, so I already have tons of examples that go with this message. But I remember one of the movies where there was Admiral Akbar. He's this alien that looked like some type of fish. And they realized that they were in a bad situation, so he yelled out, it's a trap! If I can tell you anything about offense today, it's a trap! You'll feel justified. It feels good being offended a little bit. It feel, you feel righteous. You feel like, yeah, I'm self-righteous. I have a right to be mad. I have a right to be offended. But baby, it's a trap. And if you stay there, you'll get a puppet master. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 2 verse 10, to whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgive anything to whom I forgave it for your sakes, forgave I in the person of Christ. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Do not be uninformed of ignor or ignorant of Satan's devices. And one of his devices is the trap of offense. John Bevere calls it the bait of Satan. You have to make that choice to really forgive everybody of everything. Quickly. Immediately. See, even Jesus said one of the signs of the end times is everybody's going to be offended. 
Everybody is offended these days. Republicans are offended. Democrats are offended. Independents are offended. The news is offended. The Congress is offended. The White House is offended. The Supreme Court. Everybody offended. About everything. I'm telling you, there's going to be another report tonight about who else is offended. It's one of the signs that you live close to the return of the Lord is people are going to be offended about everything. Why? It puts them in the trap of the enemy. That's why Paul said in Acts 24, verse 16, I and herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void or free of offense toward God and toward men. Paul said, I live my life to keep my heart, my conscience, my mind, my will, my emotions free of offense towards God and other people. So Jesus said in Luke 17, verse 3, take heed to yourselves. Pay attention to yourself or get a grip on yourself. If your brother trespasses or offends you, check him. Let him know that what he did was wrong because a lot of people carry around offense and never tell anyone. See, that's still dangerous because some of you, you know, you're, you are, have a forgiving nature, so you just kind of let it go and you never bring it up. And so it's not like you let it go and forgave. You didn't say anything and you carry it and you carry it and you carry it and you carry it and then you just explode. That's not healthy. Neither is going off on everybody. Both are extremes and both are unhealthy and both are positions of offense. And if we repent, forgive him. And if he offends you seven times in a day, seven times in a day, and turns against you, I repent, you shall forgive him. Not maybe, not might be, if you felt like it, if you had your coffee yet, no, you shall forgive him. And here's what the anointed, faith-filled apostle said to Jesus' teaching on forgiveness. Lord, increase our faith. <laughs> See, this word for forgive means to cancel. Or another translation, I got, looked at one Rick Renner's translation of this word, it means let it go, let it go. Some of you might not like that song, but that might need to be your life motto this week. Let it go, let it go, let it go. Because some of y'all have been holding on to stuff for decades. Let it go. Mark 11, when Jesus taught them faith. And Jesus said unto them, have faith in well, what about the economy? Have faith in God. What about the Senate? Have faith in God. What about the House? Have faith in God. What about the President? Have faith in God. What about the economy? Have faith in God. What about what they said on the news? Have faith in God. What about what I just saw? Have faith in God in God. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you what things soever you desire. When you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. And when you stand praying, come on, you're standing there, you're using your faith, you're believing God, you're asking for things, you're receiving things from God. Forgive, cancel stuff out, let it go if you have ought against any, anybody. 
that your Father, also which is in heaven, may forgive you of your trespasses. If you don't let stuff go, your faith won't work like it should. See, a lot of people say, they're, you know, this faith stuff doesn't work. No, it's your offense that's been working. It's your unforgiveness that's been working. Because even in church, there are people full of unforgiveness. It's like, oh, we're a spirit-filled church, but sometimes we full some other stuff too. <laughs> you know, one of the reasons we say all the time is we forgive everybody of everything. That's part of our faith confession, but we say it so much it's going to talk to you throughout the week. And it needs to. Because you're going to have perfect opportunity. I'm telling you, I'm preaching on offense. You're going to have great opportunity. I don't have to give you flow into the prophetic today to let you know. There's great opportunity for you to be offended this week. Some of you, before you get out of the parking lot. Y'all be nice to my parking lot guys out there. They do a great job. Y'all be nice to them. You're going to have an opportunity to be offended. Don't take the opportunity. Offense is an event. Being offended is a choice. And the thing is, some of you may be good with dealing with... See, but oh, here's some other people. You're offended at people you've never met. You don't know Donald J. Trump, but you're offended at him. Well, how about for the Republicans? You know, you don't know Nancy Pelosi, but you're offended at her. Stop being offended at these people and praying the Holy Ghost for them. Both sides of the aisle. I don't care you donkey or an elephant. Follow Jesus and pray for them both. Watching people in the news, they make you mad. You don't know them. They don't know you. They care nothing about you. And you mad at them. They don't even know you mad at them. They don't even know you. Being offended at people that is not going to make any difference in their lives is just going to hurt you. So some of you are offended at people you've never met. But some of you are really good at not being offended at people on the outside, but you're great at being offended at people in your house. <laughs> you forgive everyone else on the outside. You give everybody the benefit of the doubt of outside, but on the inside of the house. At your spouse, at your child, at your parent. You know better. You're in my house. You know better. And so now you have a justification why you think you should be offended at them. See, one of the things about offense, especially, and people are in our own houses, it's a distraction of the real enemy. Marv, come help me with this for a second. See, you guys remember when David went to go face Goliath? He's there, but he had to face a few other things before he got to Goliath. You know, his dad told him to go out and be Uber Eats, even though he's anointed to be king, to be the delivery boy, even though he's anointed to be a deliverer. He goes out, he takes the ordinary, but if he missed the ordinary, he would have missed the miraculous. So he does the ordinary, gets there, and while he hears Goliath talk about his threat to Israel, and everybody else backs away and is okay with it because they become comfortable in their dysfunction. You know, you didn't dysfunction long enough, you'd be comfortable and it doesn't bother you anymore. And so... While David says, who is this guy talking about this? And he says, well, the king says that, you know, if you take on Goliath, he'll make you rich. He'll make your family tax-free, and you get to marry a princess. And David's like, you know what? I think I'm done with being with the sheep. I think I'm ready to be in the royal family. And I'll be rich, you and tax-free. That sounds really good. But then his older brother, who should have fought Goliath already because he was already tall, 
said, what are you doing here? Who have you left those few sheep with? That's a, he's digging at him. It's like, you ain't even that important. You got those few sheep back home? Who would you leave with? But he handled all his business. And so he kept going at him. And see, the thing is, while David is anointed should have been fighting Goliath, if David fell into that trap of offense, he wouldn't fight Eliab when he should have been fighting Goliath for Eliab. See, what happens is in your house, you can get caught up in a fence, and you're fighting the wrong person. You're using all your energy and your might fighting the person who you should be back-to-back with, fighting life. Who are you fighting? Offense will make you fight the wrong person. Offense will make you turn your focus on the wrong person. And you're fighting everybody else except the puppet master controlling your strings. We've got to be faith people, not offended people. This is soul wars. We have to win the battle within. Don't be ignorant or uninformed about Satan's devices. Offense is a trap. Don't fall for it win this battle, and you'll win in life. I hope you enjoyed today's message. Thank you once again for tuning in today. You know, if you enjoyed the message, go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube channel, download our Faith Christian Center Georgia app, as well as follow us on social media. And if you want to partner with us as a ministry, you can text FCCJ to 73256. That's FCCJ to 73256. And you can give financially to support this ministry and what we do here in the metro Atlanta area as well as all around the world. Once again, thank you for tuning in today, and I'll see you next time.